Ronananian. The bug will drive off into the sunset after this generation with no replacement in sight. Oh, can I get an amen and a hallelujah? The car doctor. I think we've got a checklist of the possible things that could be wrong with your car. The last time I looked, I think it was 118 different things to test and possible scenarios. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Indian, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. Let's talk about it up here on radio and uh, let's fix that car. Let's kick the garage doors open right away. I understand the phone lines are backed up again. Boy, I'll tell you what, i got to take more weeks off. It's um, We're just backed up. They're out on the curb now and uh, they're just scrambling to get into the waiting room. Let's go over and talk to Frank in New Mexico, 88 Olds. 86 Olds Cutlass Supreme and a hydrocarbon problem. Frank, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Oh, yeah, great. Uh, last emissions test a couple of weeks ago, uh, low idle HC was high, 177 out of 200. It's usually at 50. Okay. This car has always run super clean. I'm wondering, did I not run that car long enough to heat up the cat? Uh, maybe my oil dirty? What, I'm going to change the oil uh, take the oil filter. I get a free retest. So I'm just wondering which way to go here. Well, how long has it been since the oil was changed? Uh, just under 1,700 miles. Yeah, you know, and and, and time-wise? Three, four months, uh, five months? Five months? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think it's oil. The oil might be contaminated. You know, hydrocarbons, let's establish a baseline. Hydrocarbons are raw fuel. Right. All right. If if you took the emissions probe and put it over the top of a gas can with the lid off, you would register hydrocarbons. Gasoline, by nature, gives off a hydrocarbon. Um, you know, it, it it gives off hydrocarbons as a, as as part of its chemical uh, makeup. Um, carbon monoxide is a result of combustion. So hydrocarbons are the result of just by virtue it's just it's just running rich it's 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 yeah. it's, it's it's not burning the fuel in complete combustion and the molecules aren't going through their exchange and and transformation inside the engine from hydrocarbons into carbon monoxide and then the catalytic converter doesn't do a job without I'm trying not to turn this into a chemistry class could could, could my oil uh, my excuse me my air filter have been uh no not allowing any no. air not, to pass not likely no. Um, not likely. If it was, you know, if 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 it's if it's an air filter, explain to me then the theory how it would affect hydrocarbons, but not affect carbon monoxide or some other component of the emissions test. Right. Okay. Right. If it affects one, it's got to affect them all. So that being said, I would think about on an '86 Cutlass. What was common is this a front or rear wheel drive car? Rear wheel drive. This is a know, this is a rear wheel drive V8. car. Which engine is this? Three hundred seven V eight. Yes, sir. Okay, take all right. Take off the air cleaner, and in front of the carburetor, there's going to be a round black charcoal canister purge valve. All right, it's going to have a heavy vacuum hose going to it, and I believe two smaller diameter vacuum hoses going to it. That diaphragm always ruptured. And it would it would 
cause the vehicle to draw raw fuel right out of the tank and do just what you're describing. Just at idle, huh? Just at idle. Huh. Just, okay. Just at idle. And the reason is because you've probably caught it early enough in that, you know, at higher speed, the engine is able to process more fuel and hide some things. All right. And this is located right in front of the car. Yeah, you'll huh? see it. You'll see it. There's. A, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's, it's probably... An inch in diameter, an inch by a half inch wide. It's a it's a round black plastic puck. Looks like a hockey puck with three nipples on it. All right, oh, if, if memory serves. Under the air right. cleaner, in front of the carburetor. Yeah, it's it's or it's or you may be, you may be able to even see it without taking the air cleaner off. It depended upon okay. where GM put them. But there was a heavy black vacuum hose going to it, and the idea is if you take off the smaller hose, take off any of the hoses, and there's fuel there. But if I remember right, we took off one of the controls, uh, the control side. It was a smaller di uh, smaller diameter hose, and there was fuel out of that smaller diameter hose. That means the line, the diaphragm had ruptured inside and it was drawing fuel out of the tank, up the purge side, and coming out the control side and being fed into the engine. Um, now, if that's not the case, if that has not failed, all right, then I would start to think, where else can the engine draw raw hydrocarbons? If the engine's running smooth, if there's no misfire, and we're, you know, we're assuming no mechanical issues, nothing along those lines, we have to look for an outside fuel source passing through the engine that the engine can't compensate and burn at idle. All right. Hmm. So we have to think about an outside fuel source. Listen, back in the day, I would see mechanical fuel pumps fail and dump fuel into the crankcase, enrich the oil, pick it up through the PCV valve, and cause vehicles to fail emissions. So, oh. so there's a lot of things to think about here. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, so let's start taking a look around and put our thinking cap on, but uh, let's be scientific about it. You call me next week, let me know what happens, Frank. Okay, thank you, Ron. You're very welcome, sir. Let's go over and talk to Jeff, Northern Minnesota, 97-1500 Series Chevy pick-em-up truck. What's going on, Jeffrey? Hi, Ron. Great to talk to you. Thank you for taking the call. You're welcome. How can I help you? Uh, could I make one quick comment? Uh, sure. When you were talking about self-driving cars and kids that might not want to drive, I think the reason that uh, they don't want to drive so much is because they're too busy already. Well, <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of cars self-driving every day. Well, that's true. You know, self-driving cars really aren't new. It's just now we're going to actually take the driver out from behind the wheel. So I think in some cases that might be a good idea. No. But uh, anyhow, back yeah. to the um, 1500 Chevy. Uh, I've, I've had two of these trucks. This is a 97. My previous truck was a 98. I've had uh, some erratic steering issues uh, with both of them, and I changed the uh, steering speed sensor at the base of the steering column right. and got rid, of, got rid of the erratic steering. But what I'm finding now is uh, most of the winter I carry a 600-pound snowplow and the truck steers just fine. But after taking the plow off, now it seems like... Um, it's too I, sensitive. My power assist is too much. Right, right. It's It's too sensitive. Yeah, I have no feel on the wheel. And I've been told that uh, the power steering system is a uh, two-stage where you get more assist at low speed and then less so you've got some feel at higher speed, but I'm not getting that. Right. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you what happened back in 97. My friend Mike went from his 94 Suburban to a 97 Suburban. 
97, as I recall, was the first year for variable assist power steering. Uh, and it was terrible. It was an absolute nightmare. And we we ended up going through that system forwards and backwards. Never found a fix for it. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, you're, you're, you're driving down the road, and if you breathe on the steering wheel to the left, you're in the left lane. That's exactly it. Yeah, you're always overcompensating. So what we ended up doing back in the day was, because I think if you disconnect the sensor, the sensor's in the back of the pump, right? Remember, sir, sir? Yeah, okay, it's starting to come back to me, all the horrible details. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think if you disconnect the sensor, what happened when we disconnected the sensor? I tried it and nothing. I still have too much power assist. Yeah, that's I'm what, wondering. That's what I think happened. I, I think what we ended up doing, as extreme as it seems, and we did this on a we did this on a four thousand mile brand new vehicle. We oh we purchased, I think a ninety six. I think it was ninety seven. Mike's truck. We purchased for a ninety six, which was the last year of non uh, variable assist power steering. We purchased the pump, the lines, and the box. And oh that, boy, that, that that truck rode great. That truck rode like a like a like a vehicle supposed to. And we never looked back. And that was the fix back then, and that was 21 years ago. That switch on the power string pump, is, is that um, pressure sensitive? Does yes. That if, if, if memory serves me correct, that is a pressure sensitive switch. Um, and it is, it is, it is the, the computer is being, the computer is applying assist based on the signal that it receives from that. Hey, this one I started a, a couple months ago. And I had a slight power steering leak. I haven't put fluid in this thing for four years. Uh, one morning here about a month ago, the pump growled, so I put fluid in it. And I'm wondering at that point if some damage could have been done to that pressure switch and if maybe changing that switch could be a fix. Well, the problem is we're dealing with 21-year-old technology, and there's no way to test that. You know, yeah. and, you know, sometimes you got to look at it as if there's no way to test something and if it's 50 bucks or less, that's your test. Of course, that okay. doesn't that doesn't mean that the new one's going to be any better, but you're going to get a you know you're going to become the expert on 97 K 1500 power steering, yeah. you know, and that's and that becomes a costly endeavor. Now let me let me just finish with this. Let's okay. be, let's be sure that the steering intermediate shaft is not a problem. Also, it detracts straight. I don't have any wonder or anything. No, you won't have you won't have tracking issues. There's a there's a U joint at the at the bottom of that shaft where it couples to the box, correct? Uh, I can't tell you exactly what that I'm is. I'm trying to remember because if there is, if there's a U joint down there, let's pop that off the box and make sure that it flexes in both directions that it has oh. that it has 360 degrees of movement. Okay. All right. Uh, you know because that could have rusted up, especially if you're snow plowing. And I'll tell you what, I have my 2008 plow truck. I was done putting the trans in the Suburban finally, and I decided to drive the Suburban for a while. I parked the plow truck for four days, got back in it. Steering wheel was overly sensitive. I couldn't compensate. I couldn't steer. The The joint finally rusted from sitting for four days in lack of use. Really? So, so the weirdest things happen. And, you know, I, I basically popped the shaft off at the box tried flexing it in both directions, and it was jammed in one direction and moved freely in the other. I put a shaft in it, the truck was fixed. So, oh, all right, sir? That gives me, yeah, thank you much. You're very welcome. You let me know what happens. I'm curious. So stay, right. stay in tough, Jeffrey.
You're very welcome. 855-560-9900. Ron and Indian Car Doctor. Coming back right after this. For the best in car advice, give Ron a call. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Dave, Springfield, Illinois. Dave, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Yes, good afternoon. I had a question about um, car computers. Okay. Can all of the various car computers in an automobile be manipulated via satellite? I'm going to say probably, if not on current models, I'm sure in the future, because that's where it's going, telematics and the ability for the manufacturers to reach in and look at information and you know decide does the vehicle is the vehicle due for service and maintenance and i know some car companies are doing that already the issues get into and what's held it up are privacy laws and big brother reaching in um, i attended a seminar back in the spring um, i guess so it's a year ago now um, where we talked about that there are devices ready to go onto cars, giving them the ability to tell, you know, in the event of an accident, besides just was the seatbelt buckled, were you on the phone? Were you paying attention? What was the weight of, uh, what, how, you know, how was your weight positioned on the seat? Did it seem like you were, you know, forward, back, dozing off? Where was your head? You know, they're, they're able to tell all these things, but a lot of the issues become privacy. They're, you know, it's, it's Big Brother. It's George Orwell all over again. And uh, I think once they get past that, once they figure out how to make money off of it, they will. Um, yeah. I have an 06 uh, GMC Savannah, a 6.0. Nah, not, not in that. Technology's not there. You know. But I will tell you this. Automobiles are being looked at, and this is one of the things they talked about in the seminar. A lot of what we do in an automobile, like the newer cars, the connected cars, where, you know, the, the radio stations come down out of the cloud and, you know, we can do all these wonderful things. A connected car, by virtue of what it is, you know, the, the information comes this way, but it also goes that way. And there are companies out there that are lobbying for the right to turn the connected car, that car that can, you know, self-drive but allow you sometimes to drive and, and some of the other things that they do. They, they're looking at cars as a data mine, meaning they're going to figure out that when you wear your, your, your red dress and your pink pocketbook, that that's the day you go to the park and have the roast beef sandwich. And on Thursdays when you wear the gray coat and the purple shoes, that's the day you go to the supermarket. And they're going to figure out how that affects you, you know, and, and choices. And then you're going to be marketed that way as an individual, perhaps in your Google ads and perhaps... You know, when you open your browser, and I know it sounds very off the wall. I was stunned when I heard all this, but cars are being looked at as a data mine. It's an information of, of the characteristics and the operating persona of the owner, and there are companies out there that want to take that information and use it to make money. Mark my words, it's going to happen. But you don't you don't think that's possible with no not yet with my car not, not yet. yet no sir not yet um, so keep the well, older I wasn't keep the older car going. Data mining. I was thinking about um, computer control for operation of the vehicle. No, no, not yet. Now, okay. not on yours. Now, if you want to see something absolutely frightening, and I've talked about this before, go to YouTube and search for 2014, 2014 or twenty twelve Jeep 
Grand Cherokee hack and watch what happens. And there's a video there about two guys that literally take over a late model Jeep and steer it, stop it, accelerate it, cause the brakes to fail. I mean, they take over the car to the, huh. to the point that the federal government got involved and they said, and the concern right now is that if the wrong people, and we all know who the wrong people are, get involved, all of a sudden you don't have to do it to a million cars. Could you imagine a hundred cars across the country in various cities being controlled by the wrong guys? Oh, yeah. And 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 the, and you want to talk about what the next terrorist attack is going to be? I was going to say that's scary stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. How are you going to stop a rampaging automobile? The car manufacturers and Chrysler's leading the pack because they've been required to by the federal government. Chrysler's the and, and this is an interesting question because nobody seems to know the answer. But beginning model year twenty seventeen and eighteen eighteen maybe it is. Nobody seems to have scan tool software to get into a 2018 Chrysler, and other than the manufacturer. And the reason is, is because for me to plug into a brand new Chrysler, my scan tool has to talk this way to the car and that way to the cloud. And it, has to, it is the go-between. It is the handshake between the car and the cloud, and they both have to exchange security codes so that they know it's really somebody trying to work on the car and not somebody trying to hack the car. And, and and the cost to do that is exorbitant. You're going to see in the next three years, scan tools as we know it, where it's, you know, walk up, plug up, go up to the car. On newer cars, it's going to disappear. Everything's going to be cloud-based because they can control security from that so much better and so much easier. Can a computer be shielded, like with lead foil or something like that? No. So that, to deny access? No, not to my knowledge. Only in Superman comics, but, you know, in the real world, no. Um you know, and I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but that's that's the reality of it. They Believe me, we've created a situation where if they want in, they're getting in, and there isn't anything we can do about it, uh, short of driving an older car with no controls on it. And, you know, try getting parts for the older cars. Trust me. You're going to see it. Cars are really a um, they're part of national security right now, and uh, you're going to see the changes coming forth in the next couple of years. 855-560-9900. Appreciate the call, Dave. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Ron and Andy, the Car Doctor, cardoctorshow.com, by the way, for more information and podcasting. Let's get over and talk to Jonathan in Biloxi, Mississippi, 96 Chrysler. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi. Yes, sir. Uh, Johnny? Yeah, I'm go ahead. I've got about 100,000 miles on it. runs fine. The only problem is occasionally under load, uh, I'll get a really harsh fucking hesitation like you're it's almost like somebody's pulling on the back of the car trying to slow it down. It, it, it goes on three or four times, and then it'll stop. And it doesn't happen every single time it does it. Um, the fuel filter on this car has never been changed. Would that, would that help anything at all, just change the fuel filter on this car? Well, 1,000 miles? you know, if the fuel filter's never been changed, 22, 96, 22 years old, listen, you know what, this could be a combination of things. There's no rule that says it's only one thing. 
you know, I would love to see a scan tool on here looking at fuel trim when the problem happens. Uh, you know, keep in mind, if you're pushing, that fuel pump is pushing against a plugged fuel filter, and, you know, fuel fuel pumps are like Congress. They just plow ahead without any understanding of the consequences. And if the fuel filter's plugged, then absolutely. Uh, but, you know, you could take the fuel filter off, try to blow through it. If you can't blow through it, it's plugged, put a new fuel filter on it, and still have the exact same problem. Uh, you know, maintenance or lack of maintenance only compounds an issue with a vehicle and trying to diagnose it and understand it, and it doesn't do it any good. So, yeah, by all means, if, if the fuel filter hasn't been done, what's the rest of the ignition system like? Has it ever had basic maintenance as far as tune-ups, uh, spark plugs, wires? That car should have a cap and rotor on it, although caps and rotors aren't commonly to fail. But what does the rest of it look like under the hood? Um, start with basics. Let's uh, let's do this, Jonathan. Start with basics. Call me back next week. Let me know what happens. Let me know what the fuel filter is like and um, if you can indeed still get uh, still get it off because I bet those clamps are frozen on there. Let's go over to Marty in New Orleans, 01 Kia, and uh, some questions with the alternator. M- Marty, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, the alternator in the past month started squeaking when okay. I started it up, okay. the car up. Right. And um, it'll stop when I get, like, maybe 5, 10 miles an hour. And I'll stop, you know, and I'll do the same thing again when I stop and start it. Uh, when I'm starting the car, also it'll do it. But lately, the past maybe five days, it hasn't been doing it. And then today, it did it a little bit. Now I'm just wondering what's going on. If you might have some insight. What what, what makes you think it's the alternator, Marty? Well, I, I kind of got in there and looked at it, and um, yeah, um, it's kind of hard to do by myself. But um, when I started up and it was squeaking, and I would stick my hand under the hood and. It sounds like it's coming from the alternator. You think uh, it might be possibly be something else? I should maybe look. No, more but I'm closely? just, you know, I'm just curious how we came to that because you know, human emotion guide, can guide diagnosis. And you know, if, if we're emotional, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but just, you know, tell me how you did it. Prove it to me. You know, it's like when somebody, one of my mechanics says, "Well, it's this." Okay, prove it to me. What makes you think it's that? Um, You're right. Yeah. You know. Um, I think, or it does, or it sounds like isn't, I tested it, I touched it, I listened to it, you know, it's, it's one's emotion, one is a scientific uh, explanation of it. So how about the next time it does this, makes this noise, do you know what a spray bottle is? A little fush-fush spray bottle? Okay. Yeah. Why don't, we sure. get, why don't we get a little spray bottle, fill it with some water, and, yeah. and the next time it does it, while it's doing it, let's spray the alternator belt. Hit it with a little water. All right? Mm-hmm. Does it change yeah. the tone? Does it change the pitch? Does it stop? All right? Okay. Because this may be coming from the alternator, but it may not be the alternator. It may be the belt. Right. All right? You know, the other yeah. the other possibility here is that maybe when you get the alternator belt off, if that's indeed what it is, spin all the other pulleys. What does it sound like? Now, this is a Kia Sportage. The alternator is, I'm trying to think of where it is. Is it down on the right-hand side? Well, if you're sitting in the car in the driver's seat, it's on the left-hand side, you know, in front of the engine, you know? Okay. Uh, uh, it's, it's up high. It's relatively easy to get to. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So Not let's, real high, but, you know. Yeah, easy enough. Let's 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 just try wetting the belts down a little bit. Water doesn't hurt a belt in the sense that when it rains it's going to get wet anyway. 
you know, and let's see, does that change it? Obviously, be careful. You're spraying water, moving parts. I don't want. To, I want you to walk away with all, you know, ten fingers. That's right. Um, but yeah. let's 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 try that. That won't cost you anything, and it's easy enough to try. And um, you know, if that. So uh, a belt. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say there could be hard spots on the belt, dry spots on the belt, but you know, at least we'll know is this a belt issue now. If it if that doesn't do it and it continues to make the noise, then the next step's going to be you're going to have to you know shut the car off, obviously take the belt off and start spinning things. What sounds like what? What sounds like it's making noise? Does anything have a squeak to it? Um, you don't have a mechanic stethoscope, do you? Yeah, I do. I was just thinking that maybe that might be helpful, huh? Yep. Yeah. You know. And what I would tell you to do is, I would tell you to go listen to the alternator when the noise isn't there. Uh-huh. That way, you know what good is, right? Or right. or better in this case, uh, you know, listen to it when it's not making the noise, and then when it's making the noise, listen to it again. You know. Okay. You, you, you gotta have known good to compare against bad. And that's whether you're looking at an alternator, a drivability problem, a brake pedal, or, you know, a- anything along those lines. Okay, Ron. All right, sounds sir. great. All right. You, uh, you do that. You give me a call back, Marty. Sir? You give me a call back and let me know what happens. Okay. Thanks, Ron. You're, you're very welcome, awesome. sir. And thanks for all the great information on this show. It's fantastic. Uh, I appreciate it, Marty. I'm glad to be here for you. So you take good care. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Ron from Somers, New York. Ron, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hey, how you doing today? Good. What's cooking? I have a 2010 Jeep Liberty, about 110,000 miles. Never really had much of a problem with it. Just broken Maybe. in, baby. Oh, Pardon me? Just broken in. So no, no, it's uh, no, it's, it's it's been well taken care of. Yeah, good car. I said just broken in. Just just yeah. ready to go another 110. The, only, the um, only issue I ever had was the transmission lines rusted out. That's it. Right. Um, I have an issue where I can only get ventilation through the defroster underneath the windshield. I can't get it through the vents, and I can't get it through the floor. Okay. I can get hot. I can get cold. I just can't redirect the air. Okay. Um, has anybody tried any diagnosis? Yeah, well, I've, I'm fairly familiar. I'm a, I'm a technician. I'm an electronics technician, so I'm fairly, I'm pretty decent with a, a meter and, and some logical uh, assessment. I went down to the, I think it's the mixing um, solenoid. Right. Checked it. It works. It changes when I call for different heat. Um, um, I put it back together again. It seems everything's fine. One person, my daughter took it in when she was at college, said basically that there's a redirect uh, a vent or a damper that probably has ended up getting stuck, stuck in a position where yeah. the glue melted and has you know, jammed up that particular damper. Right. And we, we see that a lot. You know, the, the easy way to go about this, Ron would would be to you know just just get your hands on a on a on a specific level scan tool not an obd2 but manufacturer level scan tool that has the ability to a here's a case where you've got to go in and scan for fault codes on the on the body computer or the heating ventilation module just to see if there's anything there 
And then if it's a well-equipped tool, it will have the ability to do bi-directional controls and you can, you know, manually move the actuators. Uh, you know, if you apply a command to the actuator to move and it doesn't move, you know, then at least you've eliminated the possibility that it's the control head and wiring in between you've, or I guess it could be wiring in between the PCM or the BCM and the, and the actuator, but you've eliminated half the, half the system. Um, and, you know, and then at that point, you know, it's the actuator. And now you've got to go find it, probably accessing it through the glove box door, if memory serves me correct, um, by pulling the glove box out. But be cautious. I've actually, yeah, I've, got, yeah, yeah. I've actually gone in there and manually moved uh, that small damper up there to see if I could just redirect. Right. Um, nothing, nothing works. I get no, nothing moves. I get no uh, change in the airflow at all. Well, when you say when you say you've manually moved the damper, what you take the actuator off? No, no. I just, I just the damper actually moves. It's loose. There's nothing. There's nothing that actually. Um, uh, it's very easily move, movable. Well, what? Where's the actuator for it? I don't. I don't. Where are you? Where are you going? That you're moving that actuator, or that blend the glove door? Box. Okay. The well, glove box. then where's the actuator for it? it I lost. Has you. to be in that location. I didn't even. I wasn't even thinking about looking for the actuator there. Right. Well, if you can move, if you can move the the if you can move the door that controls position to defrost vent or feet, something's physically broken or missing. Okay, but it doesn't change the flow of air, though, even when I do move it. Right, but what do you think you're moving? Are you physically moving the door, or are you moving the shaft? I'm actually moving the door itself. Something's broken. There's, there's, there's okay. something broken. I mean, if you close the front door to your house, and air, if, 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 if the wind's coming in and you close the door to your house, the air's got to stop, right, or it's got to change direction? Correct. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, and I think I do, um, it's if if you're changing position of that door, then it's it's got to come out from a different spot. Either there's a blockage, which I don't see how it would block both middle and bottom, or that blend door act that blend door uh, pivot is physically broken. But I don't understand. I've never seen a case where you can move the door if the actuator was in place. If the actuator is in place, it's, yeah, I shouldn't be able to move it. Right, you shouldn't exactly. be able to move it. So is the actuator missing, and there's 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 more pieces to this puzzle than we know at this point? I wouldn't know if it's missing because I've never been in this part of the car before. Right. So I would tell you to get some information and match up. Where's that actuator supposed to be? If that actuator's missing, then we've got to go find it. But that doesn't sound like it's going to fix the car, uh, fix the problem, because you can move the door and there's no change. So you could have a, you could have a broken door internally. Does this does this system when it's working properly? Does it have split, hot and cold, left to right? Uh, there's no there's no options on the on the dash to to have uh, for the passenger to control his own heat and and, okay. uh, and ventilation. Okay. Um, so just just I, w- I, I would I start was, there. I was told that uh, I'm sorry. I would start there finding out why you can move that. Yeah, that makes sense. I was told that uh, the the center the, the where the uh, where the blend the. The the uh, I guess whatever the paddle for the blend um, door may have been stuck in one position. Now I know the blend door actuator works and it works and it moves as you change the switch on the dashboard. Okay. Because I've watched it. I've watched it move. Right. Well, and it's easy enough if you can go from hot to cold in that defrost position. Then we know that the blend door is working. So, right. That was my. That was the first thing I went to look for. Right. But if you can, like you're saying, if if you're moving the 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 air position or the air mix door position, 
where it's where it's supposed to be going, the deflector, and it doesn't change air coming out the vents or the bottom, you've either got something broken inside the case, you're missing something, or you've got some combination of the two. So anyway, so I got to get that resolved before I can go forward because I can't diagnose without having everything else working. Right, you got to be sure that all the parts are there. Something doesn't sound right. It sounds like you're missing something. Yeah. Uh, well, that's. Hey, listen, I'm closer than I was 20 minutes ago. There you go. All right, brother. Keep listen. me posted. Let me know what happens. I love your show, man. Thanks a lot for being you're, there. You're very welcome, Ron. Glad to do it for you. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back. Don't you go away. Wow, how did we get here? That was the quickest two hours of uh, of my life. I got to tell you, we're almost uh, we're almost at the end. Let's get over, grab one more. Tom, Wisconsin. How can I how can I help you today, Tom? Hey, Ron, yes, long time listener, and uh, yeah, I don't always agree with your philosophy, but you and I are on the same page. That's okay. You know what? It's yeah. it's 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 okay for disagreement as long as we can do it in a peaceful and uh, uh, calm manner. So um, there you go. Uh, yep, especially shooting uh, the troubleshooting electronics. I become uh, Johnny Electron. You show me a schematic, and I'll tell you where to go to the problem. So yeah. and, I'll, and, I'll, <laughs> and, and I'll just tell you where to go. Uh, what can I do for yeah, you today? Yeah, you're done uh, where to go. Uh, okay, uh, Ron, you're a high recommend uh, recommendation. You give a highly speak highly of Barium products, the Chem Tool D12 uh, yep. injector cleaner. Yep. Okay, how would you stand this up against seafoam? You know, I get this question a lot. And the answer is that, you know, I can only base it on what my experience has been. I've heard of guys using seafoam. I've used, I think I've used seafoam once a while back, a way while back, and I've used Berryman more of recent. And the explanation becomes that I think buying a fuel system cleaner, you're buying technology and you're buying their relevance to how current they are to the current fuel um, uh, composition, the way gasoline is put together now. And that being said, uh, I like what I see from Berryman. I have done tests with Berryman where I will take a borescope, look at carbon deposits on certain vehicles beforehand, use Berryman, either use their injector cleaner, uh, pour in the tank, or some of their other heavy-duty stuff, and over time go back and re-borescope that vehicle. And I will see some amazing cleanup, some absolutely amazing cleanup and turnaround. And to base it on that, I can't see any other way or a better way to do it. Uh, you know, have I done that with seafoam? Haven't had the opportunity. But I can tell you, I've, okay. used, I've, I've used a lot of fuel system cleaners in the past, and Berryman to date does the best job, period, done, you know, um, uh, okay. end of story. Absolutely right. No, no, no. Good explanation and everything. Ah, my biggest question, however, I, I don't have a computer, don't want one, don't need one. Uh, however, do you know of any retailer that carries the Berryman products, the uh, the D12? Sure. You got an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you? No, certainly does. Yep. Uh, yeah, O'Reilly Auto Parts will have it. And, I mean, you can find, well, you don't have a computer to find it on. How can, a, how can an electronics guy not have a computer? Come on now. We're going to have to drag you into this century. Um... Please. But anyway, Tom, only kidding. Um, you know, get out to an O'Reilly Auto Parts anywhere near you or O'ReillyAuto.com if you can borrow one from a friend, and you'll find Berryman B12 there. And um, you'll find a lot of great products at O'Reilly Auto Parts, Berryman among them. So appreciate the call, and anytime you want to chew the fat and talk about uh, diagnostic theory, glad to do it, Tom, and uh, glad to count you among the Car Doctor family. Boy, where'd, this, where, where'd the last two hours go? I don't get it. I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor. Till the next time. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.